Hi everyone. This episode is going to be a little bit different. This episode is going to be about a story so prevalent that it made its way from folklore to fact, from possible fiction to nationally accepted belief. This is the story about a man with cherished memories of his childhood home and his desire to keep safe that property so future generations could enjoy it much the same way as he did. This is a story about a town that came together in an unexpected way to support this dream not once, but twice. This is a story about one of the most famous landmarks in Georgia and how it became a nationally renowned tourist attraction. It is also a story about the single most unlikely landowner in Georgian history, at least according to legend. And finally, this is about an incredibly questionable piece of legal documentation and how everyone just accepted it. This, my friends, is the story of the tree that owns itself. I'm Braden Thorvaldson, and this is what? Explain. This tree started its existence far before the town that surrounded it, somewhere between the early 16th and late 18th century. It had grown into a majestic oak on its own, far before the land around it began turning into a residential area in the early 19th century. As the story goes, the house nearest to this oak was owned by a Colonel William Henry Jackson, a professor at the University of Georgia. Jackson had grown up in the area and apparently had cherished childhood memories of playing underneath the tree and climbing through its many branches. As a result, when he grew up and maintained the family home, he wanted the tree protected for many generations to come and so deeded to the tree the ownership of the land that the tree was on and the land surrounding its trunk. This transaction took place somewhere between 1820 and 1832, depending on who you ask. And the deed read as follows. I, W.H. Jackson, of the County of Clark of the one part, and the oak tree of the County of Clark on the other part, witness that the said W.H. Jackson, for and in consideration of the great affection which he bears said tree, and his great desire to see it protected has conveyed, and by these presents do convey unto said oak tree, entire possession of itself, and of all land within eight feet of it on all sides. It's probably worth mentioning that Jackson did in fact have a son at this point, one James Jackson, later to be a congressman and chief justice of the Supreme Court of Georgia that apparently his dad didn't trust enough with the tree to give it to him, which may have been the source of some aggravation between the two, but I digress. The first actual traceable mention of the tree that owns itself was in an article in the Athens Weekly Banner on August 12, 1890. The article, entitled Deeded to Itself, told the story of the tree that owned itself. Previously, the story of the tree was the property of local folklore, a tall tale told by locals to anyone visiting the area, and as a result, the tree became a tourist attraction of a sort. The philanthropist George F. Peabody, of whom the Peabody Awards are named after, even paid for a marble plaque to be put in front of the site in 1906, explaining about its history. That plaque and the history surrounding the spot made it a tourist attraction, drawing a steady stream of visitors to the town for decades after. Unfortunately, the tree that owned itself had contracted root rot during that time and had fared poorly over those decades, finally falling over on October 9, 1942. 
The trunk was so rotted out at the end that it was impossible to tell the actual age of the tree from the rings, as not enough of them were distinguishable. For four years after the tree fell, that parcel of land lay vacant, as the tree did not leave any will indicating what was to be done with the land. In 1946, the Athens Junior Ladies Garden Club, newly formed that spring, was looking for an inaugural project to start on. Dan McGill, the son of one of the members, suggested that the Garden Club plant a tree for their first project. But not just any tree. A tree that came from one of the acorns of the tree that owned itself to be replanted on the plot of land that its ancestor once grew. The Garden Club liked this idea so much that they began spreading the word around the town of Athens, Georgia, looking for an oak sapling that grew from one of those acorns. More than one family volunteered their saplings, as it seemed that there were many oak trees planted in the area using acorns from that famous tree. The Garden Club ladies chose the largest sapling they could find of those volunteers, to ensure the maximum possible survivability when it was replanted. On December 4, 1946, the chosen sapling, standing a mighty three feet above the ground, was planted in the same spot as its ancestor. The mayor of Athens christened the seedling as the son of the tree that owns itself, and the townspeople held their breath and hoped that the tree would make it through the year. The tree not only made it through the year, but it exists to this day as a cherished part of Athens, Georgia. It's a remarkable story, proof that this town can literally trace the roots of its history. Unfortunately, I get to be a bit of a spoiler in terms of the actual facts of the story itself. First of all, the man who supposedly saved this tree due to fond childhood memories playing under its branches, Colonel William Henry Jackson, never actually grew up in the area. He was raised in Jefferson County, about 20 miles north of Athens, Georgia, which makes him living his childhood under these particular branches a fair amount less likely. Additionally, the tree wasn't even on the property that Jackson did end up owning. It was right next door to the Jackson estate, which he sold off in 1832. The second issue is the actual legal document that left the tree and the surrounding land to itself. Interestingly enough, only one person has ever claimed to have seen this document, the anonymous writer of the article in 1892. Nobody else has ever seen even a trace of the document, which would have to have been notarized in order to be legally binding. Finally, before you consider leaving your funds to your ficus, your property to your peonies, or your stocks to your sycamores, you should know that legally speaking, you absolutely cannot do that. According to common law, which is the compilation of rulings made by various courts and justices throughout the years, the person accepting the property needs to be legally able to do so, and moreover, the property must be able to be delivered to and accepted by the recipient. Which means, a little shop of horrors type situation aside, a plant would not be able to accept property. Therefore, the plant is out of the will. Now, the town of Athens, Georgia isn't genuinely thinking that a tree owns the property. In fact, legally, according to the Athens-Clark County, the tree is part of a right-of-way, and as a result, gets taken care of jointly by the Athens City Council and the owners of the plot of land next door, with the Athens Junior Ladies Garden Club serving as the tree's primary advocate. However, it is the stated position of the Athens City Council that the tree does own itself, despite legally not being 
quite an accurate statement. If you're in the area, you can even swing by the intersection of Finley and Deering in Athens, Georgia, and see the son of the tree that owns itself in all its glory. It remains one of the more popular tourist attractions in the town of Athens, so if you get lost, ask around. They'll know where to send you. And while you're in the area, you can also check out the Georgia Guidestones, as mentioned in our third episode, because, entirely coincidentally, we seem to have become a Georgian tourism podcast. The thing that makes the story of the tree that owns itself stick with me as much as it did was that it was proof that sometimes a good story can triumph over the letter of the law. There's very much a train of thought that the tree that owns itself would have been bulldozed over a while ago to try and make an extension on a driveway, or even widening a road for the city, as was the fate of many other such trees in many other such towns. But the story was interesting enough that it grabbed the attention of the town, and then the county, and then the surrounding areas as people flocked to see this unusual tree. It became a tourist attraction and more valuable on its own than it would have been as timber or as part of someone else's land. In fact, the story was so prevalent that it even resulted in the tree's descendant being planted in that exact same plot. The story ensured that the tree's descendant would continue on in its place, hopefully for centuries to come. I'm Braden Thorvaldson. And I'll talk to you all in a couple weeks. Audio mixing for this episode was done by Craig Murdoch, who informs me that chugging coffee and eating Timbits before recording is a terrible way to ready my vocal cords. Will it stop me? Yeah, probably. If you want to be up to date with all things podcast related, why not follow us on Instagram at WhatExplainPod or on our Facebook page as What Explain Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you have the time, please rate and review us. It does help push us to the top of some algorithms, making sure more people can hear the podcast. Thank you to everyone who has rated and reviewed the show already. I really appreciate it. Word of mouth is also immensely helpful. So if you have a friend, family member, or a person that just wants something to listen to while staring at a screen for work that you think may like the show, please let them know. Thanks again, and I'll talk to you all in a couple weeks for the first of our two Halloween episodes called Still Life. Bye.